Hey, Pastor Mark, can you believe it's Mother's Day? It's snuck up on me like a kung fu master. There is no escaping it. Good point. My mom's a huge fan of yours, Pastor. She said she saw you at Bradley Fair last weekend. I bet you didn't see her. She's like a ninja when she shops. It's not just when she shops, Pastor. It's all the time. Look, there she goes right there. Did you catch her? How does that happen? I don't know, but there she goes again. My goodness. I used to play hide-and-seek with her as a kid. She'd always win, though. That's why we called her Crouching Tiger, Hidden Mama. She's got mad skills, Pastor. It is totally a gift. Speaking of gifts, Pastor, I need to get her something for Mother's Day. Any suggestions? How about some nunchucks? A gift with strings is no gift at all. That settles it then, Pastor. I'm getting her a personalized throwing star. So well, since the series is called Question Mark, I got a question for you. Give it to me straight. Well, let's just pretend for a minute, Pastor, that you were free and I was free to go shopping. Would you, Pastor? And that's a really big question. Um, oh, golly, Pastor, you're actually thinking about it? I can see it now, Pastor. We walk into the store, side by side, best buddies, going down the aisle, shopping together. I, can I don't hardly... want to go shopping with you. Well, it's, it's been fun already. I, I just want to take a moment to say something about the video that you saw. Not the one you just saw, but... Uh... <laughs> I'm really scared to say anything up here anymore. Uh, but uh, I know that so many of us are new to New Spring. You might not know the, the lady in the, uh, in the video, but she is one of my heroes. I don't have too many heroes in life, but if there's such a category, Cheryl Kinder is a New Spring legend. For over 30 years, she led our toddler ministry. Um, our sons are 28, 26, and 16. She taught all three of them, and she is a certified legend. And I, that was just so meaningful. Uh, and for all of you who are moms and grandmas, could I just say hey, happy Mother's Day. You guys are awesome. And today we're going to be talking about parenthood in our series, Question Mark. We've, we've asked you to ask the questions that would frame these talks. And, and a number of the questions that we got back had to do with parenting. And, and, and parenting, of course, we, we want to make sure that our kids learn from us and that they're prepared to go on with their lives. Uh, as one quote that I read this week about parenthood said, parenthood is basically teaching kids to live without us. But even though we, our kids, we hope, learn from us, we learn some things from them, don't we? I mean, isn't it true, parents, that we learn some things along the way from our kids? And uh, I was doing some reading this week, and there was a woman, I don't know her name, she's anonymous, but she just wrote down some of life's lessons that she learned from her kids, and they really spoke to my heart. So I think that these lessons that she learned maybe will be helpful to you, because she wrote, things I've learned from my children. Number one, there is no such thing as child-proofing your house. <laughs> Number two, if you hook a dog leash over a ceiling fan, the motor is not strong enough to rotate a 42-pound boy <clears throat> wearing pound puppy underwear and a Superman cape. Number three, it is strong enough, however, to spread paint on all four walls of a 20 by 20 room. Number four, baseballs make marks on the ceilings. Number five, you should not throw baseballs up when the ceiling fan is on. Number six, when using the ceiling fan as a bat, you have to throw the ball up a few times before you get a hit. 
Number seven, ceiling fan can hit a baseball a long way. <laughs> Number eight, the glass in windows, even double pane, doesn't stop a baseball hit by a ceiling fan. <laughs> Number nine, when you hear the toilet flush and the words, uh-oh, it's already too late. Number 10, a six-year-old can start a fire with a flint rock, even though a 36-year-old man says they do it only in the movies. (laughs) Number 11, Legos will pass through the digestive tract of a four-year-old. Number 12, Duplos will not. (laughs) Number 13, Play-Doh and microwave should never be used in the same sentence. Number 14, superglue is forever. Number 15, you probably do not want to know what that odor is. Number 16, the spin cycle on a washing machine does not make earthworms dizzy. It will, however, make cats dizzy. Number 17, cats throw up twice their body weight when dizzy. (laughs) Those were deeply moving to me. I thought they might be for you. I got to tell you this right out of the box. Nothing makes me feel guilty as fast as any kind of talk on parenthood. You know, as a husband, I've made a lot of mistakes I'd like to do over again. As a pastor, I've made some mistakes, some things and decisions I'd like to have over again in all the years. But I got to tell you this. I feel, by comparison or contrast, fairly good about those grades in contrast to the grades I would get as a dad. I don't know why it is, but it's just challenging to be a parent. And one of the challenges is, for those of you who are getting anywhere close to my age or your empty nesters, is you sort of feel like you just get it just as they are about to go. Or one of the challenge, another challenge can be that, you know, you have one child and you think, oh, I've got it now. And then the next kid comes along and somebody's changed all the questions on the test. <laughs> you know, isn't that true? So it is just very challenging. And, of course, I've got a 25-minute talk here today. Isn't this, isn't this, isn't this a hoot that I, I'm going to be talking to you about how to raise your kids in 25 minutes? You know clearly I'm not going to be able to give you a fraction of what you need to know. I just want to give you what I consider are some some major considerations. And then you take these and leverage them and use them in the way that you think is best. But I, I want to just get you started today by thinking this. Every one of us as a parent needs to have at least... Uh, an internal or, or, or a uh, mental mission statement for, for what we believe our purpose is. I'm convinced that the average parent really doesn't take time to think about what they are trying to accomplish. We do this in the business world. You know, in, in any business, you have a mission statement or a purpose statement. And the reason why you have that purpose statement is it's there to guide you along the way, to know if what you're doing at that moment is either helpful or hurtful for what you, what you eventually want to accomplish. You, and, and you do that so that you'll know what a win looks like. So let me just ask you a question. Do you know what a win would look like as a parent? Is there something that you could achieve that even though you might not be perfect, you would say, essentially, this is what we are trying to accomplish? I, this is a mission statement that I've written, and I want you to think about it and see what you think. And you may come up with a lot better one. But in my mind, when we're parenting, our mission statement should be something like this, to equip my kids to live in this life in light of the life to come. Certainly, we want to give our kids the tools to meet the challenges of this life. But it isn't just enough to get them in the right college, to help them make a living for their family, because Jesus asked a question, and we talked about this on First Wednesday this week. He said, what does it profit a person to pick up or to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? His whole point is, Each of us has within us a never-dying soul that is more valuable than the whole world. 
So when we rear our kids, we certainly want them to be equipped for the challenges of this life. But we want them to understand that the big dance is yet to come. And the way they live this life is colored greatly by the life to come. So how do we do that? I want to give you two keys this morning. And again, this will not give you everything you need to know. I'm just going to get you thinking. In the Bible, there's a book called of Ephesians. And if you're ever wondering where to start reading in the Bible, Ephesians is a, is a good choice. In Ephesians, especially the last part of the book, there's a lot there for family life. In fact, Ephesians chapter 5 is the best chapter in the Bible on husband-wife relationships. So if you're struggling in your marriage and, you, and, you're, and you're trying to think, how do I, how, what does it take to be a good wife? What does it take to be a good husband? Ephesians chapter 5 is your chapter. When you move into Ephesians chapter 6, the subject changes to kids and parenting. And I'll read to you what it says in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, children, do what your parents tell you. This was my parents' favorite verse when I was growing up. <laughs> they loved the whole Bible, but clearly they loved that line more than any other. Because I heard that very, you know, often. Children, do what your parents tell you. The Bible says that. And the Bible does say that. It says this is only right. In verse 2, it says, honor your father and mother is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. Namely, so you will live well and have a long life. Now, we don't use the word honor a whole lot anymore, but the word simply means to value. So I know that, you know, many of you, you're adults and, you're, you know, you, you still have a parent relationship, but not, not as intense as you did perhaps when you were children. Could be that some of you here are teens or young adults, or maybe some of you, you know, you're not in kids' world today. Could I, could I just say this? The Bible gives you a tremendous incentive to value your parents. The scripture says, if you value your parents, it will go well for you. And I can tell you, that is a promise from God. God gave it in the Old Testament, reiterated it in the New Testament, that in valuing our parents, it causes life to go well for us. And I think certainly there's a divine blessing in there. But I think there's also a natural sense in which that's true. You know, I believe there's a line in this world between winners and losers, simply put. Winners understand authority, losers don't. It's just that simple. It's true whether we're talking about a 12-year-old or a 72-year-old. There is a line between winners and losers. Every once in a while, people tell me, well, I just have a problem with authority. And I say, you got lots of problems. I don't know you, but you got a ton of problems. Because if you have a problem with authority, you got problems throughout. People who understand and respect authority, life just goes well for them. I think there's a natural sense, and certainly there's a divine promise there. But it says this, that if the children will value their parents... They will, live a, a, they will live well. God will help them in life. But what's interesting to me is in, in Ephesians, going back to this tremendous section of the Bible that talks about family relationships, before we go into talking about what kids should do in response to their parents and what parents should do for their kids, it all starts back in chapter 5 with a statement that reminds all of us that we are children. So if you're a parent here today, not only are you the leader of your family, but you're also a child. You're a child of God. And so the Bible is trying to get us to understand this nexus, this clear connection between the fact that God is our parent and we as the children respond to him so that when we parent, what we should be basically doing is, is copying that relationship. And by the way, when you and I understand that we're a child, it will help us be better parents. And when we think about the job of parenting, it will give us a better idea of what God has to deal with in dealing with us, right? I mean... This is a throwaway line. I didn't mean to say this, but how many times has we as a parent gotten ready to discipline our kids and we think, yeah, I do the same thing to God, right? Okay. So real quickly, let me give you two keys for being what I think would be a parent. And I'm going to draw these from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. 
This is the most important thing you can do as a parent is to imitate God. And by that, I don't mean strut around and say, I'm the deity of the house. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is character, imitating God's character. This is huge. I think this will be worth coming, even if I screw up the rest of the message, all right? Just this one line is going to be really important. One of our problems in our culture today is we're so busy trying to alter our kids' behavior without understanding that behavior flows from character. In fact, Kevin Lehman in his great book, Have a New Kid by Friday, which has got to be one of the best titles of all time, and it will be in our bookstore next week. But Kevin Lehman talks about the ABCs of child rearing. He says A is attitude, B is behavior, and C is character. But he said it's not in that particular order. Character is what's foundational, and then attitude, and then behavior. You think about this. If your, kid has a good, if, if your kid has a good attitude, and I'm very blessed, and I don't mean to, to single him out, but my son Steven has just got a marvelous attitude. And even when, I, even when he and I lock horns a little bit, it's funny. He'll just correct himself and come back and say, that's right. And I'm amazed at that. But, but his attitude flows out of his character. It, that's who he is. That's his personhood. And so it starts with character, and then it's attitude, and then it's behavior at the top. When you and I try to change our kids' behavior without their character changing, whatever we do is artificial. I was reading this week about Nikita Khrushchev, who was the premier of Russia in a very scary time during the Cold War. And when he was growing up, a priest paid him candy, basically, to memorize the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm impressed, honestly. I grew up in church. I've been a pastor for 33 years. I haven't memorized the four Gospels. So that means the Soviet premier did something I didn't do, but he did it for candy. And he, he would run off and eat the candy and then memorize the verses. But clearly, it never really got into the fabric of who he was. In other words, his behavior was changed, but not his character. And so often, we're trying to alter our kids' behavior. We're trying to get them to change the way they behave. We incentivize it or whatever else we do, or we punish them if their behavior is wrong. But we must understand if we're going to see long-lasting change, it's got to start with their character, just as it does with you and me. Remember what I told you in a previous message during this series. Reputation is what people think you are. Character is who you really are. Character is who you are when you're 300 miles from home and nobody's watching. Isn't it true that a lot of times our kids go through real challenging times when they go off to college and they're a long way away from us? Why? Because that character is still in flux. Now, here's the thing about character, because we could hear that and say, okay, Mark, I get it. Character's really huge. How do I teach character to my kids? You can't. Character's caught, not taught. How many times do kids grow up in an environment where dad is doing something wrong and dad is saying, don't do what I do, do what I say? Adults can do this. You know, isn't it strange how that we have adult behavior? We're communicating to our kids. I mean, think about this. Isn't this true? What we're saying to our kids is when you get older, you can screw your life up. But right now, I'd like for you not to do that. You think, see what I'm saying? You don't teach that. It's caught. That's the thing. Kids are going to look at us, and they're going to see how we live our lives, and they're going to catch that. I got to tell you this. I was so blessed to grow up with parents of character. It's true. I caught things from who they were. And not only that, and by the way, let me just say this for any of you that maybe need to be a cycle breaker, because you could say, Mark, I come from a really rough situation. I come from several generations of, of not good family circumstances. I understand that life finds some of you there. My grandmother was one of those people. She was a cycle breaker. But I can tell you this. I am, I've had the benefit of growing up in a culture 
of godly families. Both sets of grandparents, all my aunts and uncles were godly people. And I've been so blessed because, and I was just talking about this with Mary Alice. I was talking about some of my uncles that have been with the Lord for a long time. But just hanging with them and being around them and seeing who they were and how they lived their lives and how they loved their wives and how they served their kids and, and, and how they loved God with all their heart. It helped me, and it helped my character. It helped shape and mold my character. Character isn't taught. Character is caught. Now, here's the deal. And like I say, this whole talk makes me feel guilty real quickly. But if I'm unhappy with my kids' behavior, it is inescapable that there is at least a nexus between my kids' behavior and my character. In other words, there's a connection there. Because they're catching character for me. That doesn't mean that I'm responsible for what my kids do because they have a free will of their own. But I'm just saying this. There's a nexus. There is a connection. Now, that's all in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 where God is saying, imitate God. Because God is saying, Mark, you're my kid. So imitate me. Follow my character. If we were to scroll through verses 3 and 4, and actually a good part of Ephesians chapter 5, what it's telling us is watch some areas of your character so that we can imitate God. For instance... In verse 3, it's talking about lust, setting off a downhill slide into sexual promiscuity. So God is saying, look, Mark, you got to be careful how, you, how, how sex works in your life because your kids are watching. If I'm unfaithful to Mary Alice, and I'm not, never have been, but if I was unfaithful to Mary Alice, my kids would watch that, and they would see that. And, and, and I could tell them all day long that they need to do right, but they would watch what I would do. So God is saying, Mark, be careful about that. Filthy practices, that's honesty. Greed, materialism. You know, many times our kids learn materialism from us. And then it talks, oddly enough, it talks about gossip. So that means if I'm ripping everybody all the time, my kids are going to hear that. It says, don't talk dirty or silly. That's in verse 4. In verse 15, it says, watch your step, use your head, make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times, the Bible says. Verse 17, don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Verse 18, don't drink too much wine. God is saying, watch substance abuse. It says it cheapens your life. Then in verse 19 and 20, it says worship. Let me ask you a question. Have your kids ever heard you worship God? Have they ever heard you say good things about God? If so, you're helping them catch character. And in verse 21, it says, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wow, isn't that important? I mean, it's around the house. Dads, got to be careful because you're, here's the thing. Dads, you're teaching your sons how to treat their wives Moms, you're teaching, you're teaching your daughters how to treat their husbands. Be courteously reverent to each other. Why? Because character is not taught. Character is caught. So that's the first thing. If we're going to be great parents or good parents or effective parents, we have to be sure that our character is right because our kids are going to pick up from us who we are. Secondly, this is in verse 2 of Ephesians 5. Going back to that, that important text, it says, live a life filled with love. Well, what is love? See, I think, I think we have an issue here. A lot of parents don't really know what love looks like when it comes to parenting. And it, it affects our roles. I mean, we, we don't really know what, what our role is. What's our identity? Are we a BFF? Are we a best friend? Are we buds? Are we hanging? Are we the guy walking around carrying a stick? Are we the personal assistant? Are we the slave? Are we the driver? What does love look like? Real quickly, I want to give you this. And again, this won't be everything we need to know, but it is significant. 
You, as a parent, you need to realize that love is like parentheses. There are two brackets of love. Love, number one, here's the first bracket. Love sets boundaries. Boundaries are a sign of love. I mean, if you're on a mountain road, a winding mountain pass, and it drops off 1,000 feet, whoever put that boundary there cared about your security. They weren't trying to crimp your style. They just cared about you. They put a boundary up. And if parents love, they set boundaries. Healthy boundaries communicate love. I thought about this as I was raising raising my kids, and I thought about there were three things that I was trying to say when I set boundaries. Number one, I don't want you to get hurt. Number two, I want you to be prepared. And number three, I want you to know how to treat other people. When I set boundaries, maybe there were other things, but those are the three things. I don't want you to get hurt. I want you to be prepared. I want you to know how to treat other people. And because of that, I've created a boundary. Boundaries communicate love. Let me explain. You don't put boundaries around junk. Your subdivision may not allow this, but let me just ask you if you've ever done something. Do you ever have something you want to throw away and you just put it outside in the hopes that somebody come take it? No boundary around it. No price tag on it. It's just junk. You're just hoping somebody will come and take your problem away from you. Do you realize that? And see, here's the thing. Some parents think, oh, if I'm going to express love, I'm going to tell my child he or she can do anything they want to do. You know what you just told them? You just told them they're junk. You just told them there's no reason to put a boundary around their lives because you don't put boundaries around junk. But if something is valuable to you, you're careful and you exercise boundaries. Now, herein lies the challenge. Because sometimes when you set boundaries, it doesn't feel like a loving thing, does it? I mean, you say, you got to do your homework, got to be in bed by this time. You, you know, you, you can only have so much time with the Xbox. I mean, it, you know, and you can't, go, you can't go hang out with her. I mean, when we set these boundaries, you would think, wow, it's this feeling of love. But it doesn't work that way. Why? Because kids push back against boundaries. And it's just, parents, can we have a, an epiphany moment? It is just natural for them to push back against boundaries. When kids are pushing back against boundaries, you know what they're saying? They're saying, oh, so that's where it is. Because they're looking for those boundaries. Now, they may push back against you and tell you that you're not being fair and all the other kids get to do this. And that you, know, that you got to do this when you were young. And, and some of you, I hope you don't allow them to say, I hate you and you're a terrible mom and all that. Really, we need to hear the kid, just the next time you get in one of those conversations, you realize your kid is, just, all you need to hear is your kid saying, oh, so that's where the boundary is. The problem is, you know, we know we're setting that boundary for their good. It's our love that puts that boundary there. How many times, parents, do you set a boundary and you say to yourself, if only my kid knew I didn't want to do this. This is work for me. This is a challenge for me. If I did what I wanted to do, I'd just say, hey, you do anything you want to do. That would be the easy thing to do. But you're saying to yourself, this is difficult for me. And, and the problem is, out of love, we set a boundary. And we want the wisdom of the years to be materialized at that moment and our child to come back and say something like this to us. Thank you, Mom, for setting this boundary. You're right. She is not a healthy friend for me. Her relationship could be an influence on me that would act adversely throughout the years. Thank you for loving me so much for telling me that I can't go to the mall with her. We would like for that to be the case. And see, here's the problem. Because when our kids push back against the boundaries, what do we do? We freak because we're thinking, oh, no, I did something wrong. I put the boundary in the wrong place. Maybe I need to lift it up here and move it back a little further. And you know what your kid's going to have to do is say, oh, no, I just found the boundary. And dang, now it's moved. I can tell you this from being a kid, and all of us can say this who've grown up. 
while we may not like the immediacy of the boundary, over time we understand the love that placed it there. And a wise parent will rather have a kid come back 20 years later and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, than to have a kid at the moment say, oh, you're an awesome mom because you let me do anything I want to do. You think I'm junk. You don't put a boundary around me? I think you're stupid, but all right, for right now we'll have peace. Four facts about boundaries, and then we'll cruise right on. Number one, boundaries have to be clear. When I was, when I was, good night, time is gone. Great day. I must finish. Um, let me just scroll through these. But I will just say this. When, when I was a young parent, I always made sure my kids had 20 minutes before, you know, from the time they were in trouble to when I executed judgment. Because I wanted to think and ask myself, was it clear? Did I make it clear to them? Was it just an accident? Was, was it willful? What, what, what went on? Number two, boundaries about relationship not just the behavior. In other words, you're not just setting a, a, a boundary so that your kid will function okay in that moment. It's about a relationship, not only their relationship to you, but their, your, their relationship to their future. Number three, here's the big one. Boundaries have to be universal. Both mom and dad need to agree. One of the worst things that can happen in any of our homes is if mom has one set of rules and dad has another set of rules. It's especially important in blended families. So here's what I would challenge all moms and dads to do. Get together when nobody's in trouble, when there's no crisis going on in the house, just get together and talk about the crimes that kids commit. <laughs> which ones are misdemeanors, which ones are felonies. <laughs> and how will it all go down? And be together. You know, you're going to have to have some give and take. You're going to disagree or agree or whatever, but you need to come out with a unified front because the most powerful word in a home where mom and dad are both present when discipline takes place is we. This is what we say. These are our rules. We say that you're grounded, and we have determined that this is the duration of the grounding. Very, very important term. you got to be together. You can't have one be the bad cop, one be the good cop. You know, mom is the bad policeman, and dad is, oh, whatever. You cannot have that. It is terrible. Boundaries have to be universal. Number four, boundaries have to have consequences. Huge. That's the first thing. First bracket. Love sets boundaries. And then finally, love sacrifices. There's so many people that want a baby. You know, I want to get pregnant. I want to have a baby. Well, go over to the teen department and look at the teenagers. <laughs> I don't want to rain on your parade, but they're going to become a teenager. Someone has said that teenage years are what God gives us as a gift so that we'll be glad for them to leave home. I don't know if that's really <laughs> true or not. Let me just tell you this. You're going to have a kid, you're going to sacrifice. You cool with that? I am. I love being a dad. I'm not looking forward to an empty nest. I love having my kids. But it's sacrifice. You can't be selfish and be a good parent. That's why in Ephesians 6, 4, the Bible says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. That last line has been the line that even though I feel guilty for not fulfilling it, but that's been the line that I've thought about through the years. Dads, take your kids by the hand and lead them in God's way. You know what? I can't take them by the hand if I'm not there. The advertising world has communicated to us that materialism is the currency of love. If you love your kids when they're little, you won't just give them clothes. You'll give them designer clothes. You'll have them in the crib that everybody else 
oohs and ahs for three times the cost of what anybody else could have for a crib. You'll make sure that they have the biggest parties and where all the other parents will feel like you're a good parent by all the material things you give to your kid. And they'll have the latest technology. Even if their game system is adequate, if a new one comes out, that means a whole new game system, a whole new set of games. And when they get older, boy, a car that the other kids at school will look at and say, hmm, got a great mom and dad. Madison Avenue has taught us that things and materialism are the currency of love. But they're not. They're not. You know, in the prep to the service, I heard Harry Chapin's song, Cats in the Cradle. When I was a teenager, it came out, and it impacted me as a teenager. Because I thought, how true that is. So often, parents don't have time for kids. And then, when finally the parents get past all the things that they want, and now the kids are grown, the kids don't have time for the parents. The currency of love is time and attention and care. And you know the thing about it is today, it isn't just that kids don't spend time with parents because of toys. A lot of times parents don't spend time with kids because of toys. I I love technology, but it's like the sucking drain to just pull so much out of our lives. Let me throw this at you. If you have kids at home, you need to be aware of the fact they're in the process of packing their last suitcase. You know, when they're little, when they're going to grandma's house, you pack for them. And you only pack half a suitcase because they're going to grandma's house, they're going to come back with twice as much as they left with. (laughs) You pack when they go to camp. Of course, it always comes back just like you packed it. One set of clothes will work for a whole week, especially if it's a boy. (laughs) You pack when they go to a friend's house, but there's one suitcase you won't pack. You won't pack that emotional suitcase that they leave with. You won't have any choice. They are leaving your house prepared to live with the things that you've taught them are the most important by the way you've lived your life. And I just want to encourage you to realize Our job as parents isn't telling them what to put in that last suitcase. It's teaching them the art of packing. God bless. Thanks for listening to this talk. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts and help us as parents. Such a tough job. Help us to be good kids to you and to be parents that will prepare our kids to live this life in light of the life to come. In Jesus' name, amen.